Friday, November 17th was a big day. For the first time in many years, state representatives heard and debated an education bill that would bring vouchers to Texas. Claire and I were there. We were among about 75 people sitting in the gallery, watching the proceedings on the House floor at the Texas Capitol. The pro-voucher folks wore t-shirts that said parents matter on the front and kids matter on the back. And the public education supporters wore red t-shirts because red for ed. Emotions were high. It was the end of the fourth special session, Governor Abbott's fourth attempt to push vouchers through. This is as close as vouchers had gotten to passing since 2005. We were all waiting on a crucial vote, whether or not to strip education savings accounts or school vouchers from HB1, a massive and much needed education funding bill. Even the House pages could feel the tension. They kept snapping at people in the gallery. Take a seat. No photos. No recordings. There was debate on the bill all afternoon. Democrats sat out while Republicans took the stage. And then, finally... Please vote from your desk. They took a vote. Today on The Voucher Scam, we'll explore what happened with that vote, what it means for public education in Texas, and how we can move forward with a bold vision and strategy for our schools that emphasizes the public in public education. Representative Brad Buckley, the sponsor of the bill, had presented it as an everybody wins option. The chair recognizes Dr. Buckley to explain the bill. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Over the last several months, the debate over education in Texas has been framed in an either-or manner. Either you support public education or you support parental choice. I reject that premise, and HB1 delivers historic funding and accountability assessment reform for our public schools while also creating education savings accounts that prioritize students with learning challenges and families in need of more education options. But some of the rural Republicans weren't buying it. They know that when you open the door to vouchers, even just a little, you can never close it again. Representative Darby, I've been around here a long time. I don't believe I've ever seen anything that we created that cost money ever shrink. It's going to grow. Representative Frank said, it's only a half a billion dollars. You know, just have this little lollipop, kid. It's just a small bite. It won't hurt you. Take one drag, take one hit. For over three hours, Republican state representatives argued over what Texas school children need in order to succeed. As usual, the pro-voucher folks frame the issue around parental choice and market competition. Choices and competition make everyone stronger. And what the ESAs bring to this bill is a level of accountability and a level of competition that is best for parents, it's best for students. Yes, we need to make sure that our, that our schools are fully funded. And I know that competition will rise, will ensure that all boats rise, that all students are not failed. Who are the customers of the public school system? Who are those customers, sir? Again and again, the pro-voucher representatives emphasized that public education needs to be seen through the lens of competition, 
choice and customers. Jennifer Berkshire, a public education policy expert, believes that because we are conditioned to understand the world through the frame of the market, we are primed to accept that society should almost always function like a business. Our attraction to the idea of a marketplace in America runs so deep. You know, decade after decade, we'll hear politicians talk about how you can go to the store and find chocolate milk, strawberry milk, milk for people who don't drink milk. Why can't we have that same vision for our schools? And a lot of people hear that and they think, well, that doesn't sound so bad to me. But then when you actually start to think about it, you know, very quickly the problems emerge that school is not the same as milk. You don't just experience and benefit from school as an individual consumer. Because we're all so caught up in the mentality of consumerism, the line between public goods and private commodities can get blurry. One way Nicole and I think about public goods is by asking the question, does this affect everybody? For example, who in Texas can forget the statewide power outages of February 2021? You have been on the receiving end of an attempt to make your, say, energy sector function more like a free market. How's all that working out for you? The idea that somehow your need for energy only affects you as an individual consumer, that simply isn't the case. The more you think about what we get from public education, the less the market vision really makes sense. Rebranding public education as a commodity that serves the customer taps into our deep history of rugged individualism. We've convinced people, no, as long as you get what you want, um, that's in the public interest. It is not. That's Gloria Ladson-Billings, professor emeritus at the University of Wisconsin and expert on public education equity. And as she says, one of the ways to illustrate the value of public education is to stop and think about what happens when schools leave a community. When you close a school, you really are pointing towards the destruction of a community. Because the school is a place where people from very different perspectives, backgrounds, interests come together. So maybe this sounds a little technical, but one definition of a public good is that it's non-competitive and non-exclusive. That means it's there for everybody. Public transportation, libraries, emergency services. These are baseline expectations for a healthy, functioning society. In our view, public education very much identifies as a public good. On November 17th, voucher proponents argued that individual choice trumps collective need for public education. As we watched the House members debate, we had no idea how the vote would go. Would we end the day with education savings accounts? And what would that mean for public schools in Texas? The truth is, debates about public education have been at the center of American democracy from the beginning, though the exact vision has evolved since the original founding. Back in the, the earliest days when the country is getting off the ground, education is private. It's something that well-to-do families fund for themselves. Since 1787, nobody was thinking about the education of the, the common people. The common people did what their parents did. 
And if your dad's a farmer, you're a farmer. There was no system of public education for the common people. Fortunately for us, some of the founding fathers, specifically Thomas Jefferson, recognized that our country's success depended on more than just the wealthy population being educated. You know, we're also going through this process of building the democracy. And so you see a lot of people who are understanding that if we're going to be self-governed, that educating people for citizenship is going to be absolutely key. You can't have a system where the only people who are getting educated are the people who can afford it. Voucher proponents have a deep allegiance to free market principles, and much of that thinking was pioneered by the famous American economist Milton Friedman. Milton Friedman, who is a famous libertarian economist, he is the winner. His original vision of school vouchers is triumphing right now. The key thing that you need to know is that part and parcel of his vision was that parents should pay for public schools themselves. Milton Friedman in the mid-1950s, and of course it is no coincidence that it comes on the heels of the Brown decision, when it turns out that public schools are going to have to make some effort to desegregate, um, vouchers sounds very appealing to some groups of people. Friedman could accomplish two goals with education vouchers. One, they were a legal way for parents to avoid having to send their children to integrated schools. And two, it championed the idea of viewing public schools as an individual good. Parents get their vouchers and shop around for the best schools. But there are real problems with reframing public education as an individual good versus a public one. When we shift into framing things as individual, it tips the balance in favor of the wealthy and their agenda. That's exactly how we treat higher education. And so one thing we really have to think about is that we're at a time where the influence of particular kinds of wealthy people is at gilded era levels. If you are enormously wealthy in this country, you're able to have an impact on politics, national, state, and local that, you know, that really blunts a lot of our collective demand for things like more investment. Back on the House floor, anti-voucher rural Republicans argued that vouchers weren't in the public's best interest. Here's Representative John Rainey, who carried the amendment to strip vouchers from HB1, the education bill. I'm by no means a public education expert, but I believe in my heart that using taxpayer dollars to fund an entitlement program is not conservative and it's bad public policy. I want to hold up the education code. Representative Rainey held up a thick, hardbound book. Expanding government to find choice programs for a few without accountability of this code undermines our constitutional and moral duty to educate and protect the children of Texas. Members, this should not be a political vote that makes someone across the hall, across the street, or in a town other than your district happy. He urged his fellow representatives to vote for what their own districts and communities needed. We are sent here to vote our districts. I ask that you join me and vote your district. And finally, they took a vote. Members, please vote from your desk. Please vote from your desk. So there's this huge board on the wall of the House floor, 
and it has a bunch of little lights, and the lights turn red or green when a representative votes for or against a bill. The board started lighting up. All the votes were coming in. You could hear, ding, 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 ding. And I saw a ton of green lights pop up on the board, and I thought, I think this is good. And then it all happened so fast. There have been 84 eyes and 63 nays. The amendment to the amendment is adopted. We all kind of looked at each other like, wait, what does this mean? Wait, what, what did he just say? And also the acoustics weren't great. You know, it's this huge room. Everyone's like, what's going on? What's the vote? Did vouchers fail? Eventually, a woman near us said, I had to phone a friend who's watching it, but we're good. They let me know that we're good. Vouchers had been stripped from the bill. A voucher program in Texas would not move forward. to breathe a sigh of relief and celebrate these victories, and we should celebrate. But it's hard. We know this is one battle in a long war. And if we're going to win, we have to figure out not just what we're fighting against, like vouchers, but what we're fighting for. I think we can all agree that schools need help. No one wants to stick with the status quo. So what's the vision of public schools that we want to fight for, and how do we work towards it? And why is there so much dissent about how to support public schools? Our views are wildly, they're both expansive, but also contradictory. And so if you listen to, say, Moms for Liberty, they have an extreme back to basics view of what schools should do. They literally defined it like what they want to see schools do is teach kids to write a check and make change at the cash register. And then, you know, at the other end of the spectrum, you have these sort of expansive visions of schools as community hubs. And one of the reasons that our wars over schools are so intense right now is because we don't agree at all. But why don't we agree? Someone figured out that there actually is money in public education. I just feel like someone said, you know what? Why should the public have the public money? Why shouldn't we have it? And when you see that the move towards privatization is is everywhere, whether it is in, quote, public housing, where you let a developer do it, whether it is in prison and incarceration, where you have private prisons, in some ways, schools was that last domino. If schools fall under the marketplace, the market will not serve the most vulnerable kids. We have to acknowledge that educating kids is not cheap. And educating kids who have needs that go above and beyond the basics can be extraordinarily expensive. And so when you go to a state like Arizona, where people are now living through the universal voucher experiment, there is nothing more eye-opening than a conversation with someone who is the parent of a special needs child when they go out into the marketplace to try to find a school 
that is willing to take their kids, they realize that, wow, there's actually not a lot of interest in educating kids who cost a lot of money. And that's where you start to see the, you know, the reality that really we're just talking about a way station and that parents are then going to be asked to pick up the rest of the tab. It's all about rugged individualism, that we're not a, a society, we're not a group. It's really, really strange to me that people are against the idea of helping people, which invariably makes the society better. So in some ways, it's, it is the short-sightedness that we have that we cannot see past our own noses around some of these things. But it's clear we are a collective and we live in society together. We depend on one another as much as we try to do it alone. And as Gloria says, when we look out for each other, we all benefit. So how do we make the case that investing in the public good is indeed a good thing? We have some ideas for how to think about public education in terms of both values as well as practical solutions. Step one, we have to stop playing on the field of the free market. We have this problem in that all of us talk about education now using that language of the marketplace, right? And so you think about how comfortable we are using the language of choice and marketplace in order to talk about things like school quality. And so we have this larger issue that until we are able to realize for the first time an understanding of education as a public good, we are going to have exactly the problem that we're having to use the language that they want us to use. Step two, we have to remember why we have public education in the first place. Public schools really are about citizen making. We always forget that. We think they're about jobs. They're not. Yes, we want you to be able to get a job. We want you to be able to take care of yourself and your family. We want you to be contributing to the society and to your community. But the primary purpose of a public education is to make a citizen. Chris Tackett, a public education advocate and former school board trustee, believes that education is the foundation of our democracy. This is where every single kid gets the opportunity to explore what's going on in the world around them and learn. It's how we set up our country for success in the future. Public education gives them that grounding and hopefully also instills in them that they're part of a greater whole and participating in the electoral process and knowing their voice matters, that all comes from public education. Step three, we must capitalize on this moment and reimagine what our schools can be like. The best case scenario for me, and I know I'm being a little idealistic, is for us to take advantage of this moment. And when I say this moment, this post-pandemic moment, let's not go back to normal because normal wasn't working for lots and lots of kids. And luckily for us, we have allies in other places who are lighting the way. I am so inspired by what's happening in states. So North Carolina is seeing all of the same legislative, the radical legislative proposals that you're seeing. They're recognizing the real promise of education as a public good has never been realized. They've never had the funding 
that they needed, especially in school districts that are heavily rural and heavily African-American. They're saying, here are our non-negotiables, that our public schools have to be free and open to the public and democratically governed and paid for by tax dollars. But that in no way does that mean that they are saying then that the status quo is what they want. The core idea of democracy is that we wrestle with big ideas and we mold our nation into what serves us well. We raise our voices for what matters, and if our democracy is working well, we are listened to, and we work together to find solutions. At the heart of it, we value public goods because we recognize the inevitability of our connectedness. When we started this series, we set out to explain what education vouchers are and why they are harmful to public education, why they are, in fact, a scam. Along the way, we discovered that this issue tells us a lot about how we understand public goods, democracy, and community building. And because of the show, we have begun to grow a community with our podcast guests and our listeners. So before we end, we want to send a thank you to all of our guests who shared their expertise and stories with us. And we want to end by giving them the last word. What education does for, for Texans and for Americans it unites us. The public schools, what kind of brings like everyone together. It's just kind of what makes for having a civil society. You know, your schools are reflective of the people that go there. If you go to your school, it's going to be a great school. If you go to the neighborhood school, it's going to be a great school. Public education does not toot its own horn. And I believe that's what we need to do. Public education is how we set up our country for success in the future. It is being more empathetic. It is being more open to diversity. It is of, of thought and color and, and everything else under the sun. I feel like you have to have a robust system of public education, not just to, so people can get educated and go get jobs and all that, but also just to have like some kind of social fabric. It is the tie that binds us together as Americans, as Texans. And the only way that we can be divided as Americans in this moment is by taking away the things that we cherish and hold dear together. The best gift I can give a kid is an education. That's the best gift I can give them. Thank you so much for listening to The Voucher Scam. For more information about how you can support public education in Texas, check out our resource guide. The Voucher Scam was created by me, Claire Campos O'Neill and Nicole Abshire. Our producer is Michelle Dahlenberg. Michael Osborne provided production oversight. Heather Stewart is our audio engineer. We use music from Blue Dot Sessions and APM Music. Special thanks to 14th Street Studios and Ever Calderon at Dawa Studios. The Voucher Scam is a production of the Mothers for Democracy Institute. <laughs> <laughs>